Welcome back to Breaking Mayberry, the show where we two guys watch all of the Andy Griffith show and lose their absolute minds. I'm one of those guys. I'm Martin Schneider. I'm Dan Ludwig. And uh, welcome to our third episode. This week we are taking on episodes five and six of the Andy Griffith show of season one. Uh, they are called Irresistible Andy, directed by Don Weiss, because we're right in the middle of a big old block of Don Weiss. The Weiss Renaissance. Yeah. Uh, written by David Adler. We haven't seen him yet. Uh, and then episode six is called Runaway Kid. Uh, also directed by Don Weiss. Written by Arthur Stander. Now, we've teased this one. Runaway Kid is the one where Andy causes an Amber Alert. Andy causes a 100% irrefutable Amber Alert in which a lot of people are concerned with the disappearance of a kid. Yeah, and it's like 100% his fault. The like, 100%... He could stop it at any time. In another town, the first few episodes of Stranger Things is happening. Like, full on. Like, they mention it. They're like, they're searching the woods. We, we'll get to, we gotta do yeah, Irresistible we'll, Andy first. We'll do that for, well, uh, on our way there. So, last week we asked, is Andy Griffith hot? Yeah. I've been doing a straw poll, like, to the point of sort of confusing and alarming the people in my life like are I'm, you asking this on first dates like that has that did come up on a first date over the weekend that did actually happen okay um the answer has usually been a resounding no uh the, i like i've been texting people from high school it's been a it's been a lot and it's like people it's been a, a a pretty across the board no but with a lot of thinking like Everyone gets back to me after, like, 20 minutes with a, no. It's like, it's like you see the three dots on your screen for a long, long time. One like, person got back to me, like, a half day later. It's <laughs> problem, mystifying. The problem is, though, we're not looking at, the, we're looking at this through 2018 hotness, right? Like, the, the okay. who, who are the sexiest men alive, right? Jason Momoa, The Rock, right? You can't put fucking Andy Griffith up there, but in 1960 terms? Well, yeah. actually, I mean, sexiest... Man Alive is currently Blake Shelton. That's so, true. So That's you, true. Holding it down for all of us sevens. <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same. I'm really happy that Blake Shelton is the sexiest man alive because I also grew a beard to cover the fact that I don't have a chin. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. It's like I, People Magazine just decided like, well, everything else is fucking ridiculous, so we don't really have to try on this anymore. Andy Griffith definitely would have been the sexiest man alive in 1960 if People Magazine had existed at that time. Okay, so yeah, we should we should mention why we're talking about this. This is the Andy Griffith fuck episode. Yeah, this is this episode is about how hot Andy is and how hot he thinks he is uh, primarily. And uh, let's also get this done right off the bat. One thing I want to talk about about irresistible Andy. This episode isn't good. I did not enjoy it. No, it was deeply unpleasant to watch it's, at points in time. It's like, cringeable. Yeah. Like, it goes on forever. There's, like, I think, like, eight minutes of story packed across a, like, untenable 25-minute episode. Yeah. But let's just get right into it. Um, I will... Uh, I'll read the Wikipedia one-sentence description. Andy suspects that Ellie, who we met in the last episode, Ellie Walker, best part of the episode, mm -hmm. best character so far, Andy suspects that Ellie is thinking about marriage when he invites her to the annual church picnic. 
And I want to specify that. I did not read that wrong. Andy suspects that Ellie is thinking about marriage when he invites her to the annual church picnic. So, uh, Dan, you want to set the scene for us here? Uh, yeah. So, Andy is hanging out in the combination pharmacy malt shop, which apparently was a thing back then. You know what? I'll buy it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think basically at that point in time, everything was a combination malt shop. Like, the DMV had a malt shop in it, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but he's shooting the shit with Ellie's uncle, Fred, uh, and the subject of the annual church picnic comes up. And Fred mentions that Ellie is not going to be going because she does not have anyone to go with. Which, side note, why do you need a, a romantic partner to go to a friggin' picnic? It's a picnic. Like, it's not a dance it's it's well, it, well there is a dance later right so they say that they're going to a, it's like a picnic slash a dance uh, like and you gotta figure like in towns like this all of your social life goes through the church and like a church picnic slash dance is kind of like i don't know prom mm. it's like this is this is where people go to hook up they do definitely treat it like adult prom and there is basically the heavy overtone that whoever goes to this picnic with who is going to fuck later. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, later on when Andy's having his breakdown, he's like, oh, and it had to be a church dance, too. It couldn't have been any other. Couldn't have been like, uh, the Chamber of Commerce has to be a church one. We'll get to that when we get to it, though. Yeah. And so he's sitting around shooting the shit. Is it the uncle that says that uh, Ellie doesn't have a date? Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's right. Ellie tells Andy that she's not going. Yeah. Then she leaves, and Andy's like, why isn't she going? And then that's when the uncle says, she doesn't have a date, wink the fuck wink. Well, the, the I feel like the the uncle kind of gets on Andy's shit for not asking out Ellie. Like, he's like, why would, why has no one asked out Ellie? And the uncle, very dryly, and in a, like, in an, in an almost, like, over your shit uh, tone, goes like, you could ask her. You could ask her, Andy. Like <laughs> he's, he's at, like he's not like he's not like like playing Cupid. Like he's not like well, you know, you could ask her. He's like, why don't you, man? Why don't you ask out my friggin' niece? Like, I mean, this is the first time we've seen this guy in the entire series, and he already is great yeah. because he just wants Andy to ask his niece out and then get the fuck out of his store. Basically, like, his, just, his well, just, shut you up, then go. His general attitude is like, just do it, man. You've been, you like, I, I guarantee Andy's been there every single day, constantly looking for an excuse to bring up like such a pretty young thing. Like, yeah, like, he's also really fucking creepy about it. It's a weird thing to say to someone's uncle, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, he really, like, I, it, again, 1950s standards, you could just, like, in a conversation with her about a woman, be like, you're so, you're such a pretty thing, just so beautiful, I don't, there's so many men here who want to have sex with you, <laughs> oh, you're beautiful, like, that was just a thing, like, you but could talk about during chit-chat. Not even directly to her, to her uncle. The uncle says, shut up, go ask her, mm-hmm. and then Andy goes and does shtick for what feels like forever. He Hugh, Gant, he Hugh Grant's an ask out. Like, he, he stammers an ask out charmingly for like 20 goddamn minutes. It takes forever, an yeah. eternity, until finally uh, Ellie's like, I know what you're trying to ask me. Yes, I'll go to the dance with you, or I'll go to the picnic with you. Yeah, and she's, she's not like, yeah, please! She's like, alright, yeah. Yeah, she's, right. yeah, she's, 
She's fine with it. She's like, yes, I'll go. Okay. Andy goes about his merry way. He goes home. Next thing we see, he's at dinner with Aunt B. And, oh boy, if we thought the asking out shtick went on too far. He's, like, walking around, alternating between, like, masculinely beating his his chest and, like, jerking off, jerking off like, uh, his, his neighborly kindness. It's... Pretty, it's like it's a funny shtick, but it's also extremely obnoxious. The, the the way that they describe it on the Andy Griffith Wikipedia page, which I now have bookmarked, it says Aunt B asks him how he asked her to the dance. While talking to her, he becomes convinced that she set him up for marriage, and he goes through like Adam West Batman leaps of logic on this. He is by the end of it, like he is. He has pictures and yarn that he is stringing on a corkboard. Like, he has created an elaborate conspiracy theory. And and his whole basis for this is that technically, he didn't ask her. Mm. He stammered like a fucking idiot, Mm -hmm. and she got the the hint and asked him. Yeah, so I mean, that's what this entire thing is based around, is that technically, on the, like, slimmest of technicalities, she was the one who said, would you like to go to the dance okay so let's chart let's chart the leaps of logic that he does because it basically goes ampy says oh you asked her out and she was and she was like wait no she said she wanted to go before i had even finished how'd she know i was going to say it and i am b and then he comes up he realizes the fact that he didn't initially broach the subject of the church picnic fred did and then he started talking about it and then ellie mentioned that she wasn't going and then that led him to neighborly inquire if she wanted to go, to which she had, like, aggressively snapped it up. So basically he says that Ellie and Fred had a familial conspiracy to trick poor hapless Andy into getting a date. I want you to know that every one of our listeners hit the skip forward 15 second button yeah. when you started talking. Okay, the reason, like, he goes down this fucking mental rabbit hole... And the entire time I was watching him, like, come up with conspiracy theories... It goes on forever! But, okay, here's the thing I'm trying to, like... I was trying to figure out the entire time I was watching it the first time. I was like, wait, why is he upset? Because he's upset that Ellie wants to go to the church picnic with him. And initially, he's really happy because he's like... Oh, yeah, no, I really... I snagged her. I, I, I got her to go to the church picnic with me. And then he comes to the realization that... She wants to go out with him and might have wanted to go out with him before he asks her out. And then, as we're going to describe later, goes to insane, absolutely bugfuck measures to not go on this date. But the, the, I, the, I was trying to figure out the entire time I was watching the episode, like, what is his fucking problem? He clearly likes her. And it doesn't even, like, make sense as a as an insane issue in any sort of, like haphazard sitcom logic he just wants to go on a date but he's worried that they're trapping him into marriage but you're also in north carolina in 1960 isn't a first date fucking marriage anyway yeah isn't that that how this goes you start the beginning of your courtship now i will say though i will say it was nice to actually for once for me personally to relate to andy griffith because i have definitely done this like Super shitty, kind of very sexist thing. I have 100% done this. Yeah, where you, like, go on two dates with someone, and then you're like, whoa, babe, I'm not ready for a relationship yet. Even though they've given you no indication that they want a relationship with you, and maybe they're just like, I just I just want to hook up one more time. I've done this. You know, it's, it's a sexist idea that, like, all women are looking for is relationships. 
and I had to like train myself out of that. And I know you've done it too. I have also done the extremely shitty sexist thing that Andy Griffith does here, which was uh, when not wa- when thinking that a woman was into him and not wanting a relationship to sound the like the alarm bells in the town square and be like, "Quick, someone fuck this woman so that <laughs> she won't want to have sex with me anymore." I have I have in my lower moments thought that that was a good idea. Like I that was that it was cringy to watch for that reason because I was like, "Oh god, that brings back stuff I had buried." Yeah, so for both of us, right? Like at least in this episode, I can re- I see where Andy's coming from. It's the first time I've ever seen where Andy's coming from. Well, here, so I, I was rewatching it today, and I, I think I sort of solved the mystery of why Andy was upset and why it's sort of mystifying watching it today. Go on. Is sort of latent, old-timey misogyny. Like, the kind of old-timey misogyny that you don't actually see because no one's stating it out loud. Because the point where Andy becomes upset isn't... It, it was when Ellie goes from someone who he, con- he conquered to someone who seduced him. And... Oh. The power transitioned from from him to Ellie, and as soon as that happened, he started freaking out. And it, and it doesn't really like state that in any out and out way because I think back then that was just like something that you ju- that was just like normal. Like I think every dude in the in a living room in the nineteen sixties watched that and be like. Oh yeah, no. Andy's making some good points. It does seem like she wants to fuck him. That's well, that's not acceptable. Like, can't be a good thing. A man can't be seduced. What are we? Uh, this woman needs to be held at arm's length. She's clearly dangerous. Like, uh, I, it was a, like a weird. He gets freaked out by like gender power dynamics. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, for the purpose of moving the plot along, we should mention Opie's in the room for half of this. Is watching his dad just freak out and go full-on uh conspiracy theorist so many plot developments hinge on the fact that he says crazy bullshit in front of opie who is basically just a human megaphone oh rats him out immediately just turns informant like for a fucking ice cream cone that he would have gotten anyway yeah no and that does not just like opie does not say information that he shouldn't be saying opie screams it at the top of his fucking lungs this also brings up a a thing i wanted to bring up i don't think ron howard was a good actor as a child like he was not a good child actor he didn't he just screamed things everything is one tone with him yeah it's everything sounds like this pa yeah I did a good thing today i punched my friend in the ear to defend my girlfriend pa like not like too loud for the room. He's like Ehrlich Bachman on Silicon Valley. Just slightly too loud at all times. But before, there's one thing that happens before Opie uh, rats his dad out. And that is that Andy does this incredibly heterosexual thing where he finds the most attractive young men in Mayberry. Yeah. And compliments every single one of them and says that the compliment was from Ellie so that all these attractive young bachelors go introduce themselves to Ellie. Now, I'm going to be very clear here. It makes no sense. These men already knew Ellie. Yeah. These these guys have not seen a woman that they weren't related to in months. The first time a a woman, like, moves into town, there's no way that these guys weren't just already there. Kicking down, like, and the the catalyst for them being like, I'm going to make a move wasn't them seeing her. It was the sheriff coming in and being like, 
you got an adorable button nose, or you have very big muscles, or in one actual case that he says to another guy, you have delightful, adorable eyelashes. Like, and again, like, we live in a more enlightened time. I feel like we can compliment each other, like, men's physical features. Oh, yeah, absolutely. How did this fly in the 1960s? Uh, absolutely. And it's also, like, I don't know, I don't open up a, uh, conversation with it. Although, I gotta be honest, a dude did, like, when I first meet him, tell me that I had steely blue eyes, and it was the most wonderful thing that I'd ever heard. It was just like, thank you. If if a guy complimented my eyelashes, I would be flattered for a very long oh, time. It's wonderful. We should compliment each other. Dan, you look good today. You look you look great. That your haircut is fantastic and that beard is really like I don't know what you're putting in it, but it looks fantastic. Semen. That'll do it. That'll do it. It's nature's shampoo, conditioner, whatever. <laughs> So, all right, so he goes around town complimenting all of these dudes, basically rounding up, an, like, a horny posse. And so they, they all just go there, and there's this shtick where, I'm going to say the word shtick a whole bunch of times throughout this, because that's all this, lot of all this is, uh, is, like, the guy that he said had a lot of muscles just kind of sits there and flexes in front of Ellie, and the guy that... He said had nice eyelashes, just kind of sits there and blinks in front of Ellie. And the guy that he said had a nice, adorable button nose, like, tries to twitch his nose, but he basically just kind of, like, has, like, a weird facial tick. Yeah, he contorts his face for a prolonged period of time. And so all these men just sit at the bar of the, like, soda shop, twitching and flexing at Ellie, who is very, very confused. Yeah, it's a pretty good, like, like, once it's finally happening, it's pretty good at looking bizarre and almost nightmarish which the show is going to but like the guy who's who's flexing literally just walks in like he doesn't like come up with an excuse to point at something he just literally walks in and flexes his bicep and sits down and introduces himself (laughs) yeah all while flexing (laughs) like he apparently he like managed to round up the most brain damaged members of the community uh, like, he did not get... There's no way he got the A-team of Mayberry, because these guys were, like... Like, their flirting ability... I guess that was why they are probably, like, the last single guys. Yeah, I mean, they're the only three single dudes in Mayberry. Yeah. And, like, gotta figure they don't get a whole lot of practice at this. No, they're related to most people in town. Eventually, they leave, or whatever, and then Opie comes in, and for the price of an ice cream cone, just screams out, like, just sells his dad out immediately. Says that, uh, my dad thinks you're a desperate hunter. Like, basically kind of says, like, my dad thinks that you're a cheap whore. Yeah. <laughs> and is try- o- wants to, like, nail him down and screw him on alimony and, like. Opie, Opie does a very concise, effective present. Like, he, he sets up a PowerPoint presentation and runs through the points of why his dad is an asshole with a laser pointer. He's basically defending his dissertation on, like. Why Ellie sucks and is trying to trap my dad in marriage. It's like, in modern times, it'd be like an MRA YouTube video. Then it would be 40 minutes long. Yeah, you could, you could teach debate with the, with the convincingness of, uh, of how uh, he, he argues that his dad is an asshole. Like, he's concise, he's to the point, <laughs> he, he speaks confidently, and he, he really lays out all the arguments. And he lets you draw the conclusion that Andy Griffith is a piece of shit. He doesn't draw it for you. Ellie definitely draws that conclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, rightfully so. She gets pissed off. She understands what the hell was with all these people just, like, having ticks at her. 
a second ago. Yeah. And so she gets her revenge by, like, actually acting like she's into Andy. Andy comes in and she's like, oh, darling, you know, those boys don't bother me. Meanwhile, she's poisoning his fucking milkshake. With, like, mustard and, uh, mustard and salt. Like, she's just like soy sauce. It's just, like, condiments. Yeah. Yeah. And so, then she, uh, takes a sip. And then he's like, what the hell? So he realizes that Ellie's mad uh, at at her, at her him. And Ellie says, I'm tired of this. You, How dare you believe that? I'm so mad at you. I'm going to go to the picnic and the dance with the next eligible man that walks through that door. Which is, of course, Barney Fife. Yeah, of course it's Barney Fife. And so she says, Barney, we're going to the dance together. And Barney's like, Okay. His his line is like, I just came in for some foot powder. Yeah. No, again, Eleanor Donahue's delivery of that line was, like, incredible. Like, she's the best actress on the show, hands down. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, she was already Emmy nominated before she was on this show. Yeah. Her, so. her, her line is like, you, are you going to the dance? He's like, no. And she goes like, fine, I accept. I'll be, I'll see you at eight. El- Eleanor Donahue's kind of just running circles around the rest of the cast at this point. Eleanor Donahue has... Like, is chewing so much scenery that, like, half of the set is in her mouth by, like, the end of each episode. Like, hairs through it. Now Ellie and Barney are supposed to go to the dance together. Mm -hmm. But then, in, like, a true turn of, like, dickishness, Andy decides, oh, I really do want to go. I better get Barney out of that date with Ellie. And he does so by, like, appealing to Barney's, like, massive insecurities. No! Barney's crime lust. He, Six he, of one with half dozen of the other. You yeah. say to, you say tomato, I say abuse of power. Yeah. <laughs> he describes the potential crimes at a church picnic the way, like, you would describe a beautiful woman, like, saying, come hither. Like, he's like... And a matter of fact, to get him away from a beautiful woman. Yeah. So, yeah, more than that. But there is literally, like, again, I think it's been established that if you go to the church picnic stuff, like, you're getting busy. Yeah, someone's hooking up. So, literally, Barney Fife looks at potential sex with a beautiful woman, crime, and his, and and chooses crime. The sweet, sweet allure allure of finding pickpockets. That's that's his deal, right? I'm always on duty. Always on duty. He's married to the job. He's horny for crime. (laughs) Like, oh, oh! actually, it says right here, uh, she put castor oil, mustard powder, and milk of magnesia in his drink. You know it's a good poison when I have no idea what one of the things is? Yeah. 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 Uh, I think milk of magnesia is like an old-timey laxative. Wait, that should have been a plot point that Andy <laughs> Griffith was shitting his brains out. He iron gianted him? <laughs> Maybe. There should have been that scene of him, like, frantically running to an outhouse. He's wearing, like, a jumper, right? Like, I don't think that those pants on those shirt are separate. I'm pretty sure that's not... I'm pretty sure he's not wearing a sheriffing onesie. I'm pretty sure that at no point in time has that ever been a thing. Like, you don't wear long, uh, like, long pajamas to fight crime? I'm saying, they, they, it looks very much like, <laughs> like he's wearing a one-piece. because the whole thing is in black and white. It's not, they, it's not, he's not an old-timey prospector. <laughs> Alright, so, so Andy realizes this, so he gets Barney to dump the, to dump the date. Mm-hmm. And the next scene is, uh, Ellie on the phone, talking to Barney and saying, oh, I understand. There's a knock at the door, and Andy's there. And she's still playing mad at Andy, but apparently somewhere between these two scenes, she stopped being mad at him. 
her the big reveal is she's like, I have a second date lined up, a nice younger man. And then it's Opie, and he comes with a thing of flowers, and it's a nice, like, laugh. It, there, it almost seems like there should have been, like, a freeze frame laugh. Like, she very clearly set that up. So mm. I don't know where it was... This is the second Ellie episode where I've been like, what was she doing off screen? Yeah. I've been very confused by Ellie's motivation. She she keeps learning lessons, like, in the margins of the show. And at this point, I don't know that Andy Griffith learned anything close to a lesson other than, like, he definitely wants to fuck Ellie. To the point where he's willing to psychologically manipulate Barney Fife. You you said it best in the uh, earlier episode where you compared it to, like, being Seinfeldian. But I'm going to say that this is all hugging, no learning. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the best way to put it. Because they keep not learning lessons, but acting like they learned a lesson. Which, cool? It's weird. I don't know. I, I wonder if, again, we're just, like, imparting our, like, sensibilities on there and just assuming that there should have been a lesson there. Because we're so used to shows like that that teach lessons. Maybe in 1960, you weren't used to having a show have a lesson and you could just be like, here's some weird stuff that happened in Mayberry. The yeah. end. <laughs> maybe, maybe like back then you could just, just just put a sequence of events together and as long as it like had some sort of an arc, there didn't need to be like a tethering idea. It's like a Thomas Pynchon novel. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fucking postmodern as hell. It's waiting for Godot, but waiting for any sort of morality or central idea. But the one thing I did want to bring up, like, modern sensibilities. The reason I keep, I've been sort of baffled about Andy Griffith's attractiveness ever since Ellie showed up is, it's sort of like, it's been a long-standing trope of, like, in the sitcoms, the guy is always significantly less attractive than, than the girl. Uh, there's Kevin James and whoever Kevin James is paired up with. Always Leah Remney. Uh, they killed his other wife. Did you hear about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, unceremoniously off, uh, like, off screen. And it was the really good actress from Children's Hospital. Like, yeah, yeah, just, just put Leah Remney back in. But yeah, no, like, it's a thing. Like, the, the oafish fat husband, the hot wife, been going oh, back I since, mean, like, the Honeymooners? Exactly. I mean, a, comp- a contemporary of this would be the Honeymooners. This seems almost like more, you know, like, like Andy Griffith, again, if you saw him on the street, you wouldn't be like, that's an ugly dude. But Ellie is so much more attractive than Andy Way Griffith. out of his league. Especially because, like, in all these shows, you always get the feeling that, like, these pe- these guys are charming, right? Like, yeah. these, there's something there. Or sometimes it's just like, this guy is not that attractive, and he's a fucking idiot, and he's a dick. Why is this beautiful woman with him? Yeah, 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 and they usually use that to play on, like, the the long-suffering housewife thing. Like, yeah. they're like, oh, she's so exasperated by her lazy husband's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, like, and this is, like, they they sort of do it, and she's, like, into him. Like, it's the courtship phase. They're not using that gap in attractiveness to, to, to transmit any negative... Uh, with, with, with Andy, I'm, God, we have to have a woman on this show at some point. But with Andy, I would say that it's maybe that he's just good looking enough that he can also charm, right? He's like a seven who can charm his way up to a nine. And then uh, they all kind of walk off, and that is Irresistible Andy, episode five. It's it's a nothing episode. Yeah. It's it, not, you you want to do the ratings right now? I'll do the ratings right now. Yeah. It's a two Andy's. Not and, even uh, it's not even interesting enough to have a, like a one Barney Fife. Like. Yeah, it's it's a it's a two I agree. It's a two and it's a two Andy one Fife. Uh 
this is your first time listening, our meter is we rank things or on a scale of Andes, 1 to 10 Andes, which is the quality of the show. Yeah. And then a scale of fifes, 1 to 10 fifes, which is how, like, disturbing and, like, reprehensible and shocking the shit that they do is. And this is a nothing episode. It's not good. Yeah. If you're listening along, skip this one and just know that Andy is fucking Ellie now. Or vaguely implied to be, like, they're fucking. They're in some sort of, like, relationship because they went to the church dance together. Which, you know, like, nature's aphrodisiac. Yeah, the well, church absolutely. Dance. Like, yeah. no one can go to a picnic and then not be immediately ready to get down. They were definitely blessed by a Protestant minister and then somebody played some hoedown music and then they fucked. <laughs> Alaman left and Alaman right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lively banjo accompanied their lovemaking. All right, let's get on to the, the much the, the, the better. much better episode. Episode six, Runaway Kid. Again, directed by Don Weiss. Now we're into uh, November 7th of 1960. One sentence description from Wikipedia. Andy teaches Opie about keeping promises, then must figure out what to do with a friend of Opie's who has run away from home. When I say that sentence, I need you to understand, those two clauses are not unrelated. No. Andy has to figure out what to do with the friend of Opie's because Andy teaches Opie about keeping promises. And, and really, Andy teaches Opie a lesson about keeping promises is kind of a simplification. Andy teaches Opie the value of not being a snitch. Yeah, and Andy <laughs> strongly, strongly, which is a weird stance for a sheriff, subscribes to the don't snitch policy. He basically says, now, now Opie, you don't understand that snitches, well, they get stitches. That's what happens. As soon as Opie snitched, I thought, like, I felt like Andy was going to kneel down and be like, now why you got to be a little bitch like that? I, I thought he was going for the belt, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, he was so, he was more upset by Opie snitching than he was about most of the terrible stuff that Opie has done. All right. So let's, let's actually explain what we're talking about. Our opening scene is that Opie and two of his friends, which are the only other children we've, we've seen on this show so far, uh, are outside playing cowboys. And Opie, like, with his little pop guns, shoots at his paw. They do, like, a little western thing. I'm Billy the Kid. Watch you go and shoot me, Sheriff. And they have... Yeah, it's a cute little moment. Yeah. And he goes about his day, and the boys are still playing outside. Just to remind you... That this is 1960. They do have a line like, let's go down to the creek and hunt Indians. Oh, yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but before they go down to the creek and hunt Indians, one of the bigger boys... Says that they should move Andy's car in front of a fire hydrant as a prank. And Opie is like, I don't want to do this. But puts up no resistance whatsoever. He's like, I don't want to do this. And the older boy says, well, you have to. And he's like... Well, fine. I won't push very hard, though. My question with this is, were cars lighter in the 1960s? Or children were stronger. I, somehow. Listen, they used up all the steel during the war. <laughs> These things were mostly tinfoil. In a car crash, they just evaporated. <laughs> somehow, these three children, one of which, by his own admission, is not pushing very hard, are able to push the this vehicle... A good 20 feet. Yeah. And this wouldn't bother me so much, except that they made a point that one of the 
children went and looked and made sure the brake was off. Like, yeah. turned off the emergency brake so they could do it. So they added that little bit of realism. <laughs> but wouldn't go all the way with it. It wouldn't bother me so much if they didn't do the brake thing. Yeah. That seems incredibly dangerous. Could you just, like, kick a car and just have it go flying? Yes. Yes. Things, are they, were they really just, so, like, those little tykes, uh, red and yellow cars that people pushed around like yeah no again they were extremely light but also like if you got hit with one it wasn't that big of a deal like it would it would you would do more damage to the car than it would do to you (laughs) apparently that's the case yeah yeah so these children push this car in front of the fire fire hydrant and then i don't think they understand the purpose of a prank because then they leave they bounce they're gone. <laughs> like they, they don't stick around to see the fruits of their labor. They're just like, well, we pushed this car. Time to go hunt Indians. They just they they run off happy with the knowledge that they've inconvenienced one of their dads. Yeah. Like not even actually. When you put it that way, I I, I can I understand. But counterpoint, it wasn't even like it was Opie's dad. Like neither the the boys that enjoyed it, they weren't slighting their own father. They were just like. Well, we've slighted the the father of the child who cares the least. Let's away. <laughs> so the only other law enforcement in town, Barney Fife, sees the car in front of the fire hydrant, goes to write Andy a ticket, comes up to Andy, is like, well, guess I'm going to have to write you up. And Well, he makes a pretty good case of why he's doing so, because he's like, because uh, Andy very aggressively instructed him, like, you have to enforce the law for family members and friends because otherwise that you wouldn't have anyone to enforce the law to. And and he's like, remember when you told me that, Sheriff? And Andy's like, yeah. And then he says, well, along that logic, here's a parking ticket. You parked in front of a fire hydrant. Andy says he's not going to pay it. And then Barney says, well, then I'll take it before the Justice of the Peace. And he realizes, oh, wait, you're the Justice of the Peace. This this bit is actually very funny. Oh, it's great. Where he where Andy makes Barney the justice of the peace and then pleads his case in front of a very exasperated Barney. While yelling at Barney how to be a justice of the peace. Yeah, while yeah, while instructing him on this like, okay, you gotta you gotta ask me what I have to say for myself. It's it's a very funny he, bit. One one bit that he does that was great was where he, he starts like talking softly while you think I was like, Tell me to speak up. Speak up! Well I said like yeah yeah and then by the end of it he's just like well i'm just a simple southern lawyer (laughs) (laughs) he is full on uh the foghorn leghorning he is the chicken from the chicken lawyer from futurama by the end of it (laughs) it's really good yeah it's great so so andy talks his way out of this ticket it's great that the deputy of this town is someone that you can just sort of absentmindedly talk circles around until he forgets how the law works. You can just bully him into dismissal. Okay, well, that was... Alright, I was kind of uncomfortable. Not, like, uncomfortable, but I was like, because mm. Andy should have gotten that ticket. His car was in front of the fire hydrant. Like, it was, like he was like, man, fuck you for trying to enforce... Like, I'm your <laughs> friend. How dare you give me a ticket? And I'm like, good... Good job, Barney. Cops should get, like, parking tickets. I mean, oh man, I gotta tell you. Side note. The other day, I was stepping outside of work. Uh, We're in Philadelphia. Yeah. And I don't know if people realize this, but our parking authority is so vicious that they made a television show about it. Yeah, parking cars. I stepped out and I saw a guy getting a parking ticket while he was, like, at the door of his car. So it's like he ran up. And she was still writing him the ticket. 
And so it looked like he, he was so pissed. Yeah. And at first, I was, like, on the side of that guy, because, like, screw the PPA. And then I went and saw his, like, walk past him, I saw the Fraternal Order of Police license plate. Yeah. And I was like, nope, nope, I'm, I'm on the PPA side. That guy, yeah. And, like, normally that's a, that's a free ride, yeah. right? So, good for that PPA officer, and good for Barney Fife. I mean, I, like, the town I was from, you would just see, like, the cops with no sirens on run, like, run stop signs. You would, like, they would park, like, jackasses. And after a certain point, you got sort of exhausted of just seeing, like, our town police just not have, like, any semblance of respect for the law or not get the law enforced on them at all. And one time, like, when I was, like, 17, I saw a state police officer pull over a townie and I have been riding high on that visual for years. Just seeing a cop pull over another cop. I can, I can beat that. We just mentioned the Philadelphia parking authority. Mm -hmm. I saw Philadelphia parking authority vehicle getting towed. Mother of God. I just, I came instantly. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. It was so, so beautiful. All right. So this is not an episode about parking tickets. No. But we clearly feel very passionate about this. But the entire time that scene, I was was like, come on, Barney, assert yourself. Do it. Give him the ticket. Give him the ticket. Yeah. So he doesn't give him the ticket. Yeah. Uh, And so Andy goes out to move his car. He's very befuddled. uh, And Opie tags along and he's like, man, I wonder how this car got here. And Opie, again, squeals immediately. Yeah, again, Opie is a human loudspeaker in pants. Opie is just constantly blasting information. Opie is a wire. Opie, I imagine that every scene Opie is in, he is blasting someone's personal business. Like, he's in the grocery store, like, Miss Morrison has breast cancer, I heard. Like, he's just possible I mean, information. isn't this a very old joke? Like, this is what, like, half the Dennis the Menace strips are. The Mitchells said something about a person. That person comes to dinner, and Dennis is like, Wow, you don't look like an old bag. Yeah. Like, this is, like, half of the, the fucking comic strips in the 19th. This was the funniest thing in the world to them. Yeah. And all the, like, legacy strips from that time. I saw a family circus strip last week. Why are you uh, reading The Family Circus? Because I'm one of the only people on the planet that still cares about newspaper comics. No, no, newspaper because, comics because are great, but it's The Family Circus. Because it's like right before Fraz and Garfield, and right after Dick Tracy. It's right in between those. I would read Dick Tracy. I don't understand why you're reading The Family Circus. Anyway, my point is I saw Family Circus like with this whole shtick last week. Mm-hmm. You know, So the legacy strips still think that... Kids says kids say the darndest things is the funniest thing in the world. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, that that kind of comedy has endured. Opie just rolls on his friends immediately. Completely unprompted. Like uh Andy Griffith initially is like, Well, why didn't you tell me right away? And he's like, Well, I made a promise. And the the thing Andy Griffith latches onto is Opie broke a promise. Right. And he doesn't like that. He, he wants Opie to be a man of his word. He decides to teach the wrong lesson there because he's like, well, when you make a promise, you have to stick to it. What he should have taught him was don't make stupid ass promises or don't give in to peer pressure. Really, just the, the central takeaway is don't make dumbass promises. Don't promise a stupid thing you can't follow through on or shouldn't follow through on. Again, again, reading from the the uh, Andy Griffith wiki, which is, by the way, mayberry.wikia.com. Check uh, it out. It's written, I'm pretty sure, entirely by a very sad man. It, it, your grandfather wrote this. Yeah. The way they put it is, This seemingly good life lesson 
quickly turns the tables on Andy. Yeah. It's not a seemingly good life lesson. It's just don't snitch. Why, Again, very weird policy for the sheriff to have. Yeah, no, the, the law enforcement authority. Alright, so why do the tables turn? The tables turn because Opie soon comes home with a strange boy whose uh, who's name is George. But everyone he insists everyone call him Tex. Because he's going to Texas. Uh, and the reason Opie brings him home is he found him down by the river and Tex is, uh, is running away from home. And Opie promised that he wouldn't tell anybody where George was. So Opie says that he can stay at his house and Andy has his hands tied because he can't make Opie a liar or he can't cause Opie to break his promise. And uh, also doesn't want to harbor this runaway boy. Yeah, so Tex will not say who his parents are. Texas will not will not say what town he's from. Just given zero information. Really, if any, if Opie should be learning lessons from anyone, it's Tex. Yeah, Tex knows how to keep his mouth shut. Tex has his shit together. So then Andy goes to the police station, and Barney is like, "We just got a wire from the neighboring sheriff. It, there's a missing boy in the in the neighboring town. His parents are extremely worried. His dad has been talking to anyone who will listen about how he's desperate to find his lost son." Don Knotts immediately establishes the severity of the situation. He's not like, oh, yeah, have you seen, have you heard anything about this missing kid? Some people are kind of worried. He's like, there is a terrified father. There is a town next to us on high alert. Tex is not from Mayberry. Tex is not one of the no- the local kids. Tex is from another town. Yeah, this kid, like, took off. This kid... Let's, let's go ahead and appreciate the fact that Barney is reacting absolutely perfectly for this 100 percent the entire time again barney's emotional level is consistently manhunt and the situation has again escalated boy hunt boy hunt it's boy hunt we got a boy hunt (laughs) but the situation has finally escalated itself again to barney's consistent emotional level boy hunt so barney fight runs through a laundry list of reasons why this situation is fucked to hell. Yeah. There, there's an entire town on high alert. No, in the neighboring town of... They're combing the woods? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it says what the neighboring town is. In the neighboring town of wherever the hell Tex is from, they are combing the woods. They are, they are looking for a child's body. Like, they are terrified. Broad church is happening. Like, yeah, yeah. In, a, in a slightly neighboring area. While Andy Griffith is trying to teach his son an important lesson about not being a snitch. And so, yeah, and Andy Andy does not handle this well at all. He does, he's being held hostage by something that he told his child son. And Andy boondoggles this situation as well just, as a, a situation can be boondoggled. Absolutely screws this pooch. Yeah. Like... He goes to town on this poor pooch. So he goes back to his house. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, like, tries medium hard to get uh, Opie to squeal, and Opie doesn't squeal. Barney comes by with, like, a, what he decided was a police sketch. Yeah. He sketched something, and he is police. Yeah. <laughs> he, like, And the joke is like, oh, he did a super bad job at police sketching, and Andy is, like, the entire time... George Tex is right next to Barney, who is trying to describe this child. And Andy is like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if Andy is, like, 
notice the child or don't notice. Like, I feel like Andy is hoping that Barney will notice the child because that would get him out of the entire situation. Like, we give Barney Fife a lot of shit, but I feel like a lot of this show is setting Barney Fife up to fail. Andy's kind of hoping that Barney will notice and then take the kid away because then Barney's the bad guy. Yeah. And Andy's like... Andy gets off of scot-free. They're two very different kinds of bad police officers. Like, it's incompetence and fascism versus just corruption and indifference. He's trying to get Andy to take, or trying to get uh, Barney to take the fall. Yeah, so that he doesn't have to teach his child a lesson. Then we go back to, and we talked about this in, like, the first episode. Do that whole thing about, like, how do you run away properly? And... Literally, by doing simple math, Andy talks this kid out of running away. You won't be able to eat sandwiches. Horses aren't good friends, which is debatable. Dad won't be able to play catch with you from wherever you run away from. Not so much math as just teaching a child basic, like, logic of the universe. And eventually Tex decides that he wants to go home. Oh, Let's, by the way, go ahead and figure that... Andy, at no point in time, asks why this child ran away from home. Andy has no idea what is going on at this child's house that made this kid decide to run to a different state. Like, as far as we can tell, this kid was just like, cowboys are cool. Where did cowboys come from? Texas? I'll go to Texas. The kid says, like, no one makes me, like, clean my room. But he probably should have asked, like, like... Like, why do you run away from home? Just a few basic questions. Just, like, just check in, make sure that, like, his dad's not beating the shit out of him. The worst police officer. He keeps absentmindedly remembering that he's a police... Like, he only remembers he's a police officer when he's talking his way out of a parking ticket. Now we gotta deal with Opie. And Opie's just like, you broke your promise. What did you do? What did you get? Opie sees Andy finally calling the boy's father. And I don't understand how this boy's father didn't just beat the shit out of Andy. There's there's a missing episode where that boy's father comes home or comes in and just punches Andy Taylor square in the face. There is a missing episode where Andy Taylor has to go to court and explain that he didn't kidnap this child. Yeah. Because yeah. he held, like, how long was Tex in his house? Like, like, at least six hours, right? He also explains it in the worst terms possible. He doesn't say, your son is with me. If you get a call that says, I'm the sheriff, your son is with me, that's different than what Andy actually says, which is, I'm the sheriff of Mayberry, your son has been with me. Yeah. Indicating this entire time he's been there. Which, like, he sh- there should be a scene of Andy in court and explaining to the judge, like, I held a small boy who was the subject of an Amber Alert in my house for several hours. To teach my son a lesson about about ethics. State and, lines? I guess we got across state lines once or twice. I don't know. Yeah, and then I guess like some whimsical old-timey lawyer being like, well, I have no further questions. <laughs> Clearly this man isn't a pedophile. Like, <laughs> like, I get that like back then there was way more trust, but like how how far did that extend to the point where you could just like Hold a fugitive child in your home my, for an extended period of time. My son is at a stranger's house in a completely different town, and I'm fine with that. Which, yeah, no, like, after a certain point, it goes from, like, well, it was a more simple trusting time to, like, do these people have no self-preservation instinct whatsoever? 
Was they... Did, <laughs> this is an entire fucking country of red pandas. Yes! Like, how did you live this long? Yeah, no, like, how did you have this little concern for the well-being of your progeny? And, like, how how am I here? Yeah, like, honestly. Every single time I see one of those stupid Facebook, like, shares that are just like, In my day, we drank from the hose and we ran around, we didn't wear bike helmets and it wasn't all PC. I'm just gonna be like, you're... Um, it's amazing you weren't fucking dead. Yeah. Like, also... You're 25, Jeff. What are you talking about? <laughs> Back in my day, your family had extra kids in case you lost any. Like The analogy that he uses to explain his logic to Opie is that, let's say there's a law that says don't swim. No swimming in, the swim, in this yeah. pond. But a little boy breaks that law and decides to go swimming anyway, and he starts to drown. And a man sees that boy drowning. Should he break the law to save the little boy? Or should he just sit there and watch from the side and inspire a Phil Collins song? You you earned that. <laughs> you really, you did a long walk to get to that Phil Collins bit and you earned every second of it. But, yeah, no, how is his moral always the law can take one for the team? Like, every conceivable life lesson... Like, he always finds a way to be like, and another thing about why the law can suck it. Like, <laughs> like you're teaching your son about personal honor, and you've somehow managed to make this about why parking tickets are bullshit again, Andy. No wonder your child is a sociopath. No, it's honestly no wonder that the people who love Andy Griffith show the most are libertarians. Yeah, holy shit. Yeah, Andy Griffith is basically an aggressive libertarian. Like... He thinks that the law is flexible. He's, like, aggressively utilitarian. Well, now, the age of consent is just a thing preventing two people from being happy. Like, yeah. like coming, that's coming season three. Yeah, like, the end lesson he teaches is horseshit. Cause, and at one point, Andy is, like, like approaching self-awareness because he goes, like, well, how come I keep hoisting myself on my sa on my own pitchfork? It's like because you're doing you keep teaching horseshit lessons. Like <laughs> he keeps teaching Andy shit, like Opie shitty lessons, and then be and then when he has to sort of like abide by those lessons, being put in completely untenable life situations. Holy shit, Andy! It's almost like you're teaching Opie completely untenable like. Yeah. Life lessons by which no person can possibly live their life. Now, I will say, I will say, the entire purpose for Aunt B being on the show, like, we, we, we've already established that maybe Andy can't do this on his own because he's an idiot. Yeah. You know. So that was the entire purpose for bringing Aunt B in so that there'd be another figure. Aunt B so far has not taught Opie shit. Every time Aunt B talks, I, I don't know if I'm like, oh, holy shit. Like, I, like it, it always seems... Like, every time Aunt B talks, it's like seeing a tree talk. I don't know if Aunt B and, and Opie have had a conversation since the first episode. I mean, I think they have, but just mostly, like, like Opie just walks in and be like, Hey, Aunt B. Like, he just sort of vaguely acknowledges her presence. It's just the words, hey, Aunt B, and come along, Opie. Those are it. That's it. Yeah. She's just bait like she's not so much a parental unit as just like his wrangler. She mentions at one point she's like, I thought Opie might be here. Like she's just constantly tracking him. Like Tommy Lee Jones in Fugitive. <laughs> I didn't kill my <laughs> wife! Well I oh, don't I, I can't even do it. I don't care. Impression. Yeah, there's no way to do an AB impression because I'm oh, no I, idea. I don't care. Nope. I don't she, she talks like I don't know what she sounds like. Yeah. 
And I think just the vague sounds of, like, a stereotypical 1950s old woman. So I think, like, my, um, my, my running question of is Opie a sociopath has sort of been answered in that, no, he's just a a dick kid who has a really bad parent who is, I'm I'm pretty sure the entire show, getting worse. (laughs) Because literally every episode, Andy manages to teach him a bad lesson with the exception of fishing. He's teaching great lessons about fishing, bad lessons about how to be a functional human adult. Let's go ahead and do our rankings. I feel like we didn't actively capture just the, the horror of Andy causing an Amber Alert. Like, he, I, 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 but I don't know how to, how to capture that. He causes an Amber <laughs> Alert. He causes the thing you see, like, the, the thing that comes on the radio when a child has been kidnapped. He did one of those. He done the main character did one, and does it faces no consequences. Faces no consequences whatsoever. Again, I don't know how to like uh, how to, like words don't exist to well, express how fucked that situation is. Well, you know what does exist? Numbers. Yeah. Let's go to our ratings. All right. Uh, so ratings for this one, it's a, you can start with the five if you want. I can never remember. Is it ten? Is it out, it's of, out 10? of ten? It's in terms of how good of an episode it was. I mean, there's a, a bunch of good Abbott and Costello routines in it, so I'd say, like, seven? That's seven. I'm gonna say it's a seven, Andy. Whenever Andy tries to explain a thing to Opie, like, it's there, there's always gonna be a good, like, like who's on first bit. It, like, it really, it gets that seven strictly on the, uh, on the Justice of the Peace scene for me. Yeah. That scene is very good. Yeah, that scene is, is pretty great. And in terms of fives? Fives, like, how terrifying is this? Eight? Eight. It's up there. It's yeah. probably, like, where I'm at, second most terrifying episode so far. Boy Hunt! Boy Hunt! We got ourselves a Boy Hunt, Sheriff! They're combing the woods for a tiny body! <laughs> They're searching basements and creaming... <laughs> They're looking for bones! So that's it for this trip to Mayberry. They... Boy Hunt! <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> It's fun to do. I really hope there's more hunt things so I can keep yelling something. (laughs) Thanks again for joining us on this trip to Mayberry. Please don't forget, like, subscribe, review, etc., etc. Do all the stuff. Do all the things. It helps us get into other people's uh, earbuds. Help us get into other people. (laughs) Please please like, review, subscribe, etc., etc. Share us with your friends if you, like, don't like your friends. I don't know. (laughs) this is probably one of the weirder things I've done in my entire life, so just share this weird, weird thing with America. Please. I, I want this to come up when you Google my name. Please. When I do future job interviews, I want things to be like, did you do an Andy Griffith podcast? Like, yeah. Like, I want that to come up in my background search. So please, follow us, share us on Twitter. Yeah, and on Twitter, you can follow us at Breaking Mayberry. Um, we'll get a website eventually. Uh, you can follow me. I am at Schneid Remarks on Twitter. That's S-C-H-N-E-I-D Remarks. I'm at The Luds, a Twitter handle I'm apparently not changing. So, go Two with D's. that one. Two Ds, yep. So, uh, I'm excited for the next episode. Gonna give you guys a little preview. Next episode, we're gonna dedicate the entire time to one episode. Episode 7, Andy the Matchmaker. Yeah, it's... I can't... Wait, that's the title of it? They yeah. lead in with... Oh, yeah, of course they lead in, because it's, it's one of the 
most crazy episodes of any TV show I've ever fucking seen. And I watched Hannibal, and it's absolutely batshit, and they managed to make it entirely about Barney Fife's dick. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so that that's that's a teaser for the next episode. If you want to make sure you get it, make sure you subscribe. Uh, and until then, we'll see you all down at the fishing hole. This this one bit of trivia is like in the beginning of the episode they're going to a picnic. They talk about the three legged race, then it changes to a dance. But it's always bothered me. Like this person can't possibly what? fathom that a picnic would then turn into a dance. The like, specific line, as cute as it may be, it has always bothered me that this was not caught before the episode aired the first time. That's like breaking the rules of wikis. Like you're not supposed to talk in the third person yeah, on these. You, you can't refer to yourself. This troper. I don't. <laughs> That's some TV tropes ass shit. This is clearly like someone's grandfather, right? Oh, like, absolutely, absolutely. Like he, he, they had to. Whoever else is like moderating this wiki had to delete like four paragraphs of like and another thing. <laughs> Why is someone always mowing their lawn all the time next to my house? Isn't your lawn mowed yet, Gary?